for the Indians. One run on, let's see, one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. You can't say goddamn on the air. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. From the Gateway Lounge in Sioux Falls, it's Nobody's Listening Anyway. Here are your hosts, John Gaskins and Matt Zimmer. Big punt, end over end, BB, fair catch, and no, he bobbled it, he muffed it, and the Carolina Panthers recovered it at the eight. The, the Minnesota Vikings deserve to lose this game. End of story, can't have that happen. My God! Two receivers left and right. Cousins, back to pass. Fires to the end zone! Yes! Touchdown, Vikings! Chad Beebe! Well done! Your first National Football League touchdown has made everybody forget about the muff, and it's tied the game at 27. Chad Beebe! Oh, wow. What a, uh, talk about a, an extremely boring football game that uh, two mediocre teams that turned into just a shit show yet gloriously dramatic ending and there it is <laughs> Paul Allen will amplify the drama as much as any announcer can there on the Vikings radio network with Chad BP dropping a punt that looked like was going to be the nail in the coffin for the Vikings. The old Viking Teddy Bridgewater uh, overshoots a guy on a pass that probably shouldn't have even been thrown. It gives the Vikings another chance. And then Chad Beebe catches the winning touchdown. And Matt Zimmer makes the Star Tribune in the story about the, the GOAT Chad Beebe becoming the hero Chad Beebe. And that, of course, Matt, with your great in, 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 journalism integrity uh, and astute mind for the craft is, is, is of course the big story of the game, right? <laughs> of course it has to be, you know, yeah. let's overlook the fact that, uh, Kirk cousins, the $28 million man who we constantly deride for not being able to direct a fourth quarter comeback last minute game winning drive finally does so. And, uh, everyone wants to give credit to the guy who should have blown the game by dropping a fair catch punt and then made the miraculous play of, oh, I don't know, catching a pass that hit him right in the goddamn face mask in the uh, final play of the game. So, yeah, way to go, Chad Beebe. You're the hero. <laughs> Were you surprised to see yourself in the Star Tribune? Was it just, uh, what was it, an online thing, just listing uh, off the shit-talking tweets about Chad Beebe? Yeah, they wrote an article about, you know, just the, the lows. and Essentially the same thing as the Paul Allen clip, you know, going from agony to ecstasy and how everyone was shitting on him and then changing their mind. And our buddy Dominique Claire was also in the same article uh, for his tweets about it. But um, like I said, I do not take back what I said. I think Chad Beebe stinks. And um, that was a unforgivable mistake in that moment. And it's a miracle that the Vikings still won the game uh, largely because of the incompetence of the Panthers yeah. uh, and giving them another opportunity. And then, like I said, uh, Kirk Cousins, in, in fact, you could almost be critical of Kirk Cousins again in saying that, you know, he finally directed a, a game-winning drive in the fourth quarter, but he did it way too fast. You know, he left 50 seconds on the clock, gave the pit, which you don't, you don't really hold that against him. But weren't you thinking when they scored that game-winning touchdown, Jesus, 50 seconds left yes. and all they need is a field goal. Of course. They're still going to lose this Of game. course, against the Vikings' yeah. defense this year? Yes, of yeah, course. Yeah, absolutely. No and uh, they just happened to get – Lucky enough that the guy shanked the field goal. So and of I mean, course, that was, yeah. Okay, that's I right. I think I saw. I think it was our buddy Jim Nelson. I think tweeted that 
that was the worst good football game I've ever seen. And yeah. I think that's about the best way to put it. Was, it was entertaining in its finish and how, you know, the drama, the back and forth and all that. Uh, but those were two uh, shitty teams playing shitty football. Yeah, that was perfect. Uh, Jim Nelson, of course, now an anchor on the news in Cleveland, formerly a sports guy here in Sioux Falls on TV. Uh, Matt Zimmer, Argus leader, sports writer. I'm John Gaskins, formerly on the radio on a daily basis, but here we are in our weekly podcast. And Tim Miles, Tim Miles, the former Nebraska basketball coach, of course, South Dakota native, also won big at Mayville State, Southwest Minnesota, North Dakota State, Colorado State family lives here in Sioux Falls and all over South Dakota. He was here for the crossover classic at the Pentagon, and he has his observations of just the weirdness of it, how it was run. But, of course, the Jackrabbits who were a part of it, Matt writes about the Jacks. So we'll get to his thoughts on college men's hoops getting started and getting started here in Sioux Falls on national television Uh a little bit down the road in this podcast, but we'll get, let's, and by the way, I thought I was like, woo, I scored Tim Miles. He's like on every podcast, Zim. <laughs> he's, he's, <laughs> he, he does everybody's podcasts. He's, he's willing to admit it. He's got the free time and uh, he's got his own podcast now. And it's, it's great. It's entertaining. It's uh, that's just who Tim is. So we appreciate his time here. I tried my very best to maybe talk about things that he hasn't on, you know, just hours of other people's podcasts. We'll see, including his own. Uh, so looking forward to that at about the I don't know, half hour mark of this podcast. But yeah, let's start with the Vikings uh, as we have the uh, first of all, Chad Beamy no longer stinks the same way. Now, Kirk Cousins is a clutch quarterback. Um, it was like he 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 definitely showed something there. Uh, and I've got some terrific stats about how that just proves how unclutch he has been his whole career. Not that we don't know it, but it wasn't just a great day for him. Matt, and of course the Vikings now at these sort of like the the mirages reappearing of playoff hopes again, but also just a great day for everybody who wanted to claim that they've been on Captain Kirk's bandwagon and never got off. What a great day it was. (laughs) What a great day it was for them because he finally did something every other quarterback in the league has done for the last three years, at least once, if not two or three more times than Kirk and the Vikings have the last three years. An actual dance down the field, two-minute drive that we talked about. They look so bad at against the shitty Cowboys last week. It's nice to know the Vikings are capable of that though. Yeah. I mean, it was a weird game. Uh, you know, I looked at the final stats for Kurt and they were pretty solid. Although, you know, he, he's been playing pretty well the last month or so. And I felt like he did not play well yesterday, most of the game early on. And, but I don't know if it was totally his fault either. I mean, at one point he was like, you know, 14 of 17 for 70 yards or something. It's like, I, I, I realize they don't have Adam Thielen and that, that obviously changes the game plan a little bit, but you know, we've kind of seen as Dalvin cook has sort of forced defenses to, to, you know, to, to respect him more, more uh, that the Vikings have finally started stretching the field a little bit. Kirk cousins came into the game leading the NFL in yards per attempt. And all of a sudden they're doing this dink and dunk thing to, an extreme that I thought was a little bit surprising again, not having feeling uh, is a big part of it, but still uh, the, the whole game, I'm kind of going, well, you know, so much for Kirk cousins, having uh, figured it out or, or got the vertical passing game going, this is, this is ugly. This isn't any fun to watch. And, you know, they got it going at the end. And, and I think that's to his credit. And the, the stats certainly once again, were there uh, and they are this season. I mean, he's, he's ranked, he ranks very highly in a lot of uh, quarterback stats in the NFL this year, but, it's just, you know, one week after another, we're kind of bouncing back and forth between 
oh, he's not quite as good or maybe he's a little bit better. You know, there, there never really seems to be an extreme with Kirk Cousins. You know, I don't think there's obviously people out there that hate him and think he's terrible. And those people are unreasonable. We know he's not terrible. Uh, but there's also people who, who are kind of trying to say, well, look, he leads the NFL in this. He leads the NFL in that. And that's a little bit, you know, out of the realm of realism, too. I mean, he, he just seems to be, in, in my opinion anyway, just kind of settling in as an above average quarterback, you mm. know, a, a, a B, B minus, maybe on his best day, B plus quarterback. And, you know, you could do better. You could do worse. Yeah, and that includes in the clutch, which is the most important time where quarterbacks should make their money and make their hay. Disagree. Disagree. Okay, we can get to that. We can get to that. Well, I'm saying you're saying that like it's a fact, and I don't think it is. I mean, Mm. the first 45 minutes of the game are just as important as the last 15. You know, touchdowns aren't worth more points in the fourth quarter. I mean, that's why, you know, your quarterback rating, all those things, takes into account what you do in the first quarter just as well as the fourth quarter. I I don't dispute that, but – uh, this a lot of NFL games are close. The league is built the way it is with you know, the highest draft pick goes to the worst team. It, you see teams turn things around in short time. Mike Zimmer turned a grease fire into an NFC North title at 11-5 in his second year. Because th- This league is close and set up for games to be close and personnel to be close, and it was yesterday. And so when you have so many close games, a big part of your performance as a team and a quarterback can and should be based on how you do in the final minutes of a game because this game, like I said, was just kind of boring and bad and neither neither offense or quarterback was impressive. And then all of a sudden it was, uh, you know, a lot of things happening in the last couple of minutes. Um, for And by the way, I don't even know if you mentioned the things that Kirk was doing in that game yesterday. Uh, it, to me, the two, that's, the, the two that stuck out, two plays, uh, getting the get, getting hit and losing the football, same guy, uh, recovering it for a touchdown. I mean, it's a miracle the Vikings win a game with the defense scoring a touchdown twice. Uh, usually uh-huh. you're automatically losing if they do that once. And he did it on two straight, like two straight plays, two straight series. And Captain Kirk's one of the worst. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if there's a stat for it, but being able to not protect the football when you get sacked, uh, which is partly a symptom of not hearing the footsteps and, and you know, being ahead of the sack and the hit, is he's one of the worst in the NFL at that. And, on the, you know, and that's why some Vikings fans this week were getting all romantic about Teddy because he's one of those guys when he gets pressured, oh, he's, he's so cool in the pocket. That never happens to him. So it was, I mean, I thought it was a terrible day for Kirk just because of those two plays should have cost the Vikings the game before the two-minute drill. I don't know. I have a hard time, and, and maybe I'm, this is going to sound so pretentious, but maybe I'm a little bit, biased in this because I played quarterback myself, but I've always found it a little bit. <clears throat> I, I'm just unsure of how much blame is on the quarterback when he gets sacked and he fumbles and, you know, something happens or whatever. Like, like, obviously you're supposed to take care of the football and, you know, some, fo- some fumbles are, are entirely the ball carrier's fault. Sometimes they're the fault of, you know, the offensive line, whatever. I mean, there've been so many instances this year where I feel like Kirk Cousins got blamed for something the offensive line did. Um, the Cowboys game is an example. He gets sacked at the end of the game. It's like, I, I don't understand how that's his fault, you know, that he's supposed to lead, lead this game-winning drive when the offensive line is getting overwhelmed by a blitz or whatever. Uh, the play the other day against the, the Carolina, he loses this fumble. Jeremy Chin picks it up, runs it in for a touchdown. Okay, what about Dalvin Cook? I mean, his, in my opinion, was far worse. You know, he, he's not a defenseless player like a quarterback is. 
Side note, I'm also really tired of Dalvin Cook faking an injury every time he fumbles because he thinks we're too stupid to know what he's doing there. Um, (laughs) But, um, uh, you know, you never want a quarterback who fumbles. I mean, and and I I had that thought, too, when that touchdown happened. Like, you know, how often does that happen to Aaron Rodgers? How often does that happen to to Patrick Mahomes? And is it because their offensive line is just better and they never find themselves in that situation where they're being – you know, totally defenseless and, and knocked on their ass and the ball pops free? Or is it that they're just better at recognizing when the pocket's collapsing and protecting the football? I don't know. Um, but I, my, my greater point is I can live with Kirk Cousins fumbling once in a while, whether it's his fault or the offensive line's fault or whatever, if he's an elite passer, an elite quarterback most of the time. And like I said, I, I don't think he is. I think he's a, an above average quarterback, fumbles or no fumbles. Yeah, well, I think to answer your question, I think he is worse at that than most quarterbacks of, uh, again, sensing uh, when it happens to you so many times, even if your offensive line is a lot worse than those guys, uh, it just when, when something continues to happen like that and becomes part of your reputation, some of that is on you. It's hard to weigh how much it is on you. And yeah, I mean, stats are a crazy thing with Kirk Cousins because Fox was showing things in the fourth quarter about and mentioning he's, you know, he had one of the highest passer ratings in the NFL in the fourth quarter this year. And the Vikings mm-hmm. as a team were, were like third and fourth quarter points in the NFL. Well, I go back to, I don't know, the first two, was it the first two games of the year where they were behind? Yeah, or the he Falcons put up about 30 fourth oh, quarter points in those couple of games. Yeah, Kirk yeah. Cousins is just a wizard when you get behind by double digits and the defense sags off a little bit or goes prevent. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, it's not, it's not quite as tight. He can let it loose. Uh, so, again, it was good to see him actually do it and do it successfully at the end of the game with his team behind and needing a touchdown. Uh, and coming into that, uh, coming into that drive, just so, again, more fun stats. When the Vikings are behind by one score or tied with a chance to win, early in the fourth quarter or early in overtime, prior to the four-minute mark, Kirk's passer rating is 117, eighth in the NFL. Late in the fourth quarter or overtime, under four minutes left to go in the game, Kirk's passer rating 53.5, 43rd. He's one of the worst. And start as far, you know, he's one of the worst. Um, but he he changed that yesterday and it, he just made it look so they made it look so easy without Adam Thielen on that drive. And part of me did think, well, that's great. It's not as hard as they always make it look, or he or he and they make it look also. What are the Panthers doing dropping back in eight? Why don't they? It didn't seem like they right. were getting any pressure on him. All you got to do is get pressure on Cousins, and we just talked about this. That's when he disintegrates. And, and the Cowboys get, show, showed, it, showed you how it's done last week. So I think the Panthers, the, the Vikings can, you know, toss a few bouquets and send a few thank you letters over to, to Charlotte for this performance as well. They were bad, and they, <laughs> they had to try really hard to lose that game in a variety of ways, some of which we just touched on, and we could probably go on. And and I'll go ahead and change the subject to this since we talked about it yesterday. You want to do the Teddy, Teddy thing? Bridge, yes. Teddy Bridgewater is not very good. We, we can stop pretending that the Vikings had this Hall of Fame quarterback and let him get away. And, and even, I mean, I, you know, I think we all understand that he has to be judged a little bit differently because of the injury that happened to him. We, we will, it's true. No one can argue that we'll never know. Maybe he would have been a different player. That was a, a, a practically a life threatening injury. You know, I mean, it was, it's a miracle that he's playing at all, that he's a starting NFL quarterback, uh, but leg or no leg Panthers, Vikings, whatever. I don't think there was ever any evidence that he was going to be, you know, an elite, you know, uh, hall of fame level quarterback. Uh, and I don't think, I know he's had some, some good moments with the saints, with the Panthers, uh, but I'm watching him yesterday and all I'm thinking is, 
I actually go, I was like, what is this guy making? <laughs> so I Googled his salary and I think it's like 21 million or something. And I thought to myself, you know, you don't get to say this about Kirk Cousins very often because we always, part of the reason everyone always bitches about him isn't just his performance. It's also his performance based on his salary. But I did think to myself, you know, I think I'd rather have Kirk Cousins for 30 million than Teddy Bridgewater for 21. I would too. And it's, but man, I, you and I both know, and we heard from them on Twitter yesterday, the Teddy lovers. And I, and that's what I was talking about. David Brown of Midco. David was very reasonable. And, but I, I, I know I have a good friend who we were talking about this a few days ago and he just, and Paul Allen was talking about this both on his show and in his weekly hit that he does with me on KWSN. Teddy's a cold-blooded killer. He doesn't put up great stats. He never averaged more than one TD a game in his career. And uh, But, hey, look at that Seattle playoff game in his second year. when Yeah, when he put up 14 points or 12 when, points or whatever when, it was. When they drove, well, Russell Wilson, it was a cold day, and Russell Wilson only threw for 141 that day, and Teddy only threw for 146. But watch that last drive, Zim Cooley delivering the ball down the field, setting it up for that short field goal. And it was, you know, obviously that was Blair Walsh's fault. But that's used as the example of this guy. Okay, he is not going to dazzle you with uh, Kirk Cousins' accuracy or Kirk Cousins' arm or get or go quarterbacks better than Kirk. But man, he's not gonna he's not gonna screw it up. And he's got cold blooded first year, his rookie year, a couple times he took them down the field. I mean, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier with Cousins. Teddy was almost the opposite. He, he Cousins screws it up too often, gives you dazzling plays and numbers sometimes but can screw it up for you in the clutch or not come through. And the reputation, the perception slash reputation of Teddy uh, off of two years in Minnesota and, you know, some decent play in New Orleans last year and until the last couple of games, Carolina this year was, so what if he doesn't have dazzling stats or doesn't dazzle you? He will not lose it. And uh, he's cool. He's cool. And um, I, I don't, I, there's some truth to that, but not to the point I'm with you. Where uh, I, if I'm a Vi- if I'm a diehard Vikings fan, I'm I'm thinking to myself, what if, what if Teddy were the Vikings quarterback? Things could have been things could have been different the last few years. No, they wouldn't. I don't think they would have been hardly any different at all. They wouldn't have won a bunch more games or titles or anything with Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback. He's not that good. When I think of what if with Teddy Bridgewater, I, I think of pre-injury. You know, because that I think is a, a more relevant, well, not a more relevant question, but I think it's a better question, a more intriguing question. Yes. Because uh, he was what, 22, 23, coming off a season that he had gone to the Pro Bowl. Now, granted, he was like the sixth alternate or something, but, you know, ha- had a pretty good season, got into the playoffs, was clearly, you know, on an upswing. I don't, I, don't, I, I to this day, don't think there was any evidence that, oh, geez, this guy's going to become, you know, some. 40 touchdown passes a year kind of gunslinger that, you know, is a 10 time pro bowl or anything. Uh, but the Vikings were going to be a good team. They were loaded up. They were expected to be very good. And when he suffered that injury, you know, it, it goes to show you how high the Vikings own expectations were for themselves, but they went out tra- traded a first round draft pick to, to bring in Sam Bradford. They felt like, you know, this is a season that we, we have to, to try to win this year. We can't go, Oh, our quarterback got hurt. We'll punt on this year or whatever. They went out and traded for Sam Bradford. That's how good they thought they were going to be that year. And obviously Teddy's injury injury ended up being even worse than sort of your typical, you know, blow out your knee, miss a season. You know, he basically had to miss two years. Um, and, you know, now it looks like he's, you know, I hate to say 100% healthy because I don't think you ever fully recover from an injury that makes you miss two whole years. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's absolutely 
I think, you know, makes sense to wonder what might have been if that hadn't happened. But it did happen. And now to sit here and say, oh, the Vikings, how good would they be if they had Teddy Bridgewater right now? Like, I, I just, like I said, I, I've, I've seen him play now for, for a couple of years. And it's great. To, I think everyone's thinks it's great that he made this comeback. You know, he, he's in the, um, this is an Alex Smith level. Boom. That's a big part of it. You just nailed the injury and the comeback. The comeback story. Everybody loves a good comeback story. They love it even more when it is from a guy who is already so beloved by his teammates, by his head coach, by his fans, that infectious smile, the positive attitude. He was showing promise, and then it happened to him at such a young age, this incredibly gruesome injury. Teammates were crying and throwing up on the practice field. The legend has it that trainers had to save him from losing his leg, if not losing his life. I've actually heard that. And so he came back from all of this. He had well-deserved sympathy. And then now everybody's rooting for him. And now it's just wonderful when he comes back and went back onto the field in Minneapolis in 2017, late in the year. And one of the loudest ovations ever heard from Vikings fans when he was uh, back up at the time, mop-up duty. And then everybody's rooting for him and he does really well. He goes on a nice run last year at the Saints and for a bit this year at the Panthers. And so there's this rallying aspect about him because he's nice because he commands some sort of respect has the positive vibes that's infectious and we keep reading about that and so it just adds to the romanticism and perhaps the delusion of how good he would have been he would not have made he's not a big enough difference maker at quarterback that he would give have given them a lot more wins and he certainly isn't bad enough that they would have lost a lot more if not any more than had he been in at quarterback or still would be uh, but you know what else adds and compounds this romanticism of Teddy? And he was Mike Zimmer's uh, golden child because Mike Zimmer hates offense. He hate, he loves scheming up and, and embarrassing offenses. Uh, that, that's a little strong of a remark, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah, he's yeah. quick. He's quick to pull quarterbacks. He, he fucking hated Case Keenum because Case Keenum would uh, just throw grenades. He would just he would just light fires. Uh, and uh, when it worked, Magzimmer would say he's got a horseshoe around his head. He took too many uh-huh. risks. And Kirk Cousins doesn't either sense the, uh, you know, again, he doesn't sense the uh, the big hit, the big mistake that's coming. And he made too many of those. And sometimes Kirk gets too risky. Teddy was his perfect pet. Teddy was his puppet. He didn't dagger games. He didn't dagger drives. You know, he would just, if it wasn't there, it wasn't there, and give Zim's defense a good field position and let them go win the game like Zim likes to do it. But don't let the offense lose it. He's He's gone through four or five offensive coordinators. He goes through kickers like shit through a goose. You know, quarterbacks as well just piss him off. But uh, to not Teddy. And so Zim's affection for Teddy, it's still to this day, and the fact that Zim is a popular Vikings coach. Minnesota coming into the year had the seventh most wins in the NFL since Zimmer became the, the Vikings coach. He, they haven't reached a Super Bowl level. But Vikings fans like Zim because they like the crusty old school, run the ball, play defense, smack him in the mouth. Uh, it reminds you of the Bud Grant days and Chuck Foreman and the Purple People Eaters. And, uh, you know, they, they like, an old, like an old guy who shows a, a little piss and vinegar. And yet he loved Teddy. And so when Vikings fans go along with what Zim goes along with, then you're going along with this love and longing for Teddy that is understandable, but in my in my opinion, unrealistic when it comes to 
how much better the Vikings would have been. We got to get to this basketball thing over the weekend because you actually got to do your job, uh, your your primary job at the Argus Leader. You have many, but you cover South Dakota State athletics, and you covered one of the premier events in college basketball to start the season Wednesday through what, Saturday or Friday at the Pentagon, and the Jackrabbit men were in it, the Bad Boy Mowers crossover classic, and uh, it's got to be a, an interesting, weird world. Before we get into the Jacks and how they performed on a national stage. In Sioux Falls, just uh, what were kind of your observations coming back to covering this, but in such a different environment? I just kept thinking about how unfortunate it was that there weren't fans there because this is one of the coolest events that has come to South Dakota. It was still cool, even with, you know, uh, St. Mary's and Virginia Commonwealth and Western Kentucky and some of these other schools replacing, you know, Ohio State, Texas A&M, Wichita State. It would have been even cooler if those schools had been there, obviously, and would have been even cooler, cooler if we'd had those schools plus fans. And uh, it was just and I'm not trying to shit on the event. It was really cool. It was fun. Um, But it it was almost like you couldn't you you didn't realize just how cool it was because it lacked that sort of big time atmosphere that a, a full house would have given it. Maybe it was a little different on TV. It was hard to tell. But it's like. You know, at some point I'm watching the first game where the Jacks are playing West Virginia, and it's like, okay, they're playing the 15th ranked team in the country in South Dakota. You know, normally to play a team like that, you got to go there. So they're getting, you know, number 15 team in the country on, on in their home state, and you know, Bob Huggins, one of the most legendary coaches, is down there on the sidelines. This is so cool, but all you can really hear is just the squeaking of sneakers on the court, and you know, there's no just the ambience, the sound. And, and, and again, we all know why, and it is what it is. It was just, that that was just a little bit unfortunate. And it really made me hope that this is an event they can find a way to replicate in some way. Obviously it's going to be more difficult when the pandemic is over because events like, you know, the battle for Atlantis are going to be back. And why would someone go to Sioux Falls when they can go to the Bahamas? Uh, But hopefully they can put something together like this because it was really cool. And also it was just really encouraging uh, to get the sense that maybe this can be accomplished after all, you know, that they can pull this off. They got through it. Obviously a ton of teams dropped out on the way up to it, but once they got here and, and got everything going, it appeared to go off without a hitch. And you heard all the coaches and, and ESPN type people that were involved in this uh, speak very highly of the Sanford folks, the tournament officials being able to put this together and host the teams well and, and make it worth their while you know, there weren't a lot of complaints as far as I could tell. I mean, obviously, maybe there were and we didn't hear about them, but it seemed like a good event. And I think that that makes it encouraging to me uh, to think that because obviously, you know, having, getting through high school football season here in South Dakota, that was one thing. All those games are being played outside. Um, going inside for basketball, that's going to be a lot different. And I think we're all a little nervous wondering if we can pull off a high school and or college basketball season while the pandemic is still going on. And I think Sanford handling it as well as they did gives me a little hope that we can. Yeah, that's good. Now, I was watching the Jacks hang with West Virginia that first game Wednesday night, the whole game. I mean, really step for step and doing impressive cuts and the athletes you expect to be making plays, making plays. Noah Friedel's kind of going off over here. And, uh, but at the same time, the Jacks are kind of behind seven to 10 the last few minutes. And, it did It did seem to me, and again, this is game one, so a lot of game ones are like this, like a little bit of a scrimmage. Could, did, could you sense a different kind of 
vibe emitting from the players and the coaches and the collective unit of humans on the court than when there are packed stands to the point where maybe the basketball wasn't as intense. Maybe it's kind of hard to say, like, I definitely got a sense that maybe if anyone was guilty of that, it was probably West Virginia. And I don't mean that as a criticism of them, but you know, they were the one big, big name school ranked team that was in the thing from the start and that never dropped out. Well, when all these other teams drop out, they become even more of sort of the, okay, well, these are the big dogs that are here. They should win this thing. And it felt very much like they were kind of coasting at times uh, in particular, the championship game against uh, I think it was Western Kentucky, right? Yeah. They uh, were, were behind most of the way and they just kind of like, all right, I guess it's time to flip the switch and start playing hard and win this thing. Uh, and that's kind of what they did. Uh, I don't know if I'd necessarily say that's how their game against SDSU transpired, but I certainly wouldn't say that the Jacks approached it like, like a scrimmage. Uh, I, I thought they very much treated that first game against, you know, again, how often do you get to play a ranked team in mm. your own, own state? Mm-hmm. I think they, they really treated it like a big game and they played really well and they played really hard uh, when they lost. They didn't pout about it or say, oh, geez, we came so close. They yeah. instead seemed to be energized by it and then kick the shit out of Utah State yeah. the next day. Looked great doing it. Now, the, the the downside of that was, and it was a little bit predictable, for them to play so hard and, tr- and try so hard to beat West Virginia in that first game, then come out and play great in that second game. Um, you could almost see a letdown coming from a mile away in the third game, and that's exactly what happened. They just came out, I think they were down like 19-4 to four or something, before they even woke up uh, against St. Mary's. And that's a little d- disappointing because after they had played so well in those first two games, especially with these games being on national television, you know, they were getting a lot of national traction. A lot of the national analysts, people on TV, people on Twitter were talking about them, saying, you know, Hey, the Jacks look great. South Dakota state really looks like they got something going. And then they come out and poop the bed in that third game. Like I said, I, I think that's kind of predictable just sort of based on how, how the tournament sort of played out and who they had to play and the energy that they exerted in trying to win those games. But I still think even going one and two, uh, it was a a pretty encouraging showing for the Jacks. And then, you know, just leaving aside what a rare and positive opportunity that is for them to get to play three consecutive games on national television uh, against pretty good competition. That was a great weekend for SDSU basketball. Yeah, they're uh, favored to win the Summit, and they shared the Summit title last year, and they've they've been great for years now. Uh, I thought they were entertaining. The only one I watched closely was West Virginia. But um, what what are your impressions of some of the main studs that are back, like Friedel, Detlinger, Douglas Wilson, uh, and what they've added since last year, and what we what you might figure to expect? Well, you know, it, it's basically the same team as last year, and that's certainly a good thing. They went twenty two and ten, won the conference, maybe would have won the conference tournament if they didn't have their they didn't have their best player, Doug Wilson missed the conference tournament with an injury. He's back. I thought he looked pretty good. Uh, Although, you know, the one sort of, I think the one maybe red flag from those first three games was, you know, obviously SDSU has mid-major size. They don't have power five conference size. Doug Wilson's a a dominant player as a four, sometimes a three uh, in the summit league at six, seven, a lot harder for him to, to be that kind of player you know, going against much bigger players that you see in the bigger conferences. Uh, Matt Dentlinger, their 6'8 center, was an all-conference player last year. He was invisible during this tournament, didn't do hardly anything. Now, the Jacks, you know, were badly undersized against Utah State and still managed to beat them soundly. Uh, but the performances of Wilson and Dentlinger, I think, are a little bit, you know, kind of make you go, okay, well, how's this team going to fare 
in a in a NCAA tournament situation, assuming they get there against a team that has a lot of size, is really good inside. That's a fair question. Having said that, the Jacks are still they're pretty loaded. I mean, they can really shoot it. They made 15 threes in that second game. Noah Friedel, I mean, you know, slow start last year, but by the end of the year, he was, you know, an assassin, an outside shooter, scorer, just a, a great player with a lot of swagger. And he's clearly picked up right where he left off. He was great in this tournament for most of the way uh, and doing more than just scoring. I think he, he led him in rebounding in this, this is the first couple games. He looks really, really good. Um, but you, like I said, Wilson and Dentlinger didn't have a great tournament, but I think you'll see them uh, a better matchup against Summit League competition. Uh, Baylor Shireman was a, an encouraging player last year as a freshman, played a lot. But holy cow, that game against Utah State, you know, best game of his career. If he can play, you know, even remotely like that for much of this season, that's going to make a huge difference. Uh, Alex Arians was solid. He's going to be running the point again. I, I, I don't love him as a point guard, but Hendo does, and he knows more than I do. Uh, but, you know, and having said that, Charlie Easley, the point guard they brought in uh, from Nebraska, uh, he, he didn't play a whole lot. He's obviously going to be a guy coming off the bench, at least initially. Uh, but I really liked what I saw from him. He looks like a scrappy guy who's versatile, can do a lot of things. You still got guys like David Winget that can do some things off the bench or on the wing. Um, oh, I got Christmas presents at the door. Doorbell's ringing. Max, be quiet. <laughs> um, but uh, they look really good. I mean, are they a perfect team? Are they a team without weaknesses? No, they're not. Uh, but they were really good last year, and they look like they're better than they were a year ago. Jack Women opened the season on Saturday afternoon at Frost in front of a few hundred, beating number 15 Iowa State. We're we're kind of used to that now uh, with our ladies in South Dakota, especially the Jacks doing something like that. Uh, this was a team that wasn't as loaded last year and lost their best player last year as some of the years before. Of course, USD was the... The hi Arthur, uh, the the Yotes were the class of the league. But anyway, Jack start the season beating a top fifteen team. What'd you notice? Uh, Haley Greer was what really stood out. Uh, point guard who transferred in, grad transfer from Colgate. Uh, she averaged eight points a game for them last year. So I just kind of assumed she was being brought in to sort of replace Riley Cassio Jensen as that you know pass first distributing kind of floor general point guard, but. AJ sure seems to think she can be a big time scorer. She has 20 points, six on 20 points on nine field goals in her Jackrabbit debut. Couldn't have been much better. Now, I don't think she's going to average 20 points a game by any means. And AJ did make reference to the fact that, you know, right now teams were expecting us to to use her the same way Colgate did, and we're not. So it's going to take them a while to adjust. Eventually they will. Uh, but she really looked like a player who could who could make a big impact, who could be more than just a, you know, someone who comes in and averages five or six points a game, whatever. Um, and that gives them another weapon that they need because, you know, Maya Sellen's a great player. She was hurt last year. Obviously, getting her back is huge. Peyton Burkhardt is a really good, underrated inside player. Um, but they, ever since Macy Miller graduated, they really haven't had that one player that you say, okay, this is the person we're going to give the ball to at the end of the game. And I don't know that they necessarily do now. Um, you know, is, is Maya that person? Is Haley Greer that person? But maybe the answer is now they have three players potentially who could do that. Um, get, this team needed another weapon, and it looks like Haley Greer gives them that. Mm. For them to beat, you know, the 15th ranked team in the country at home, I don't think that's a huge upset. I mean, were you shocked that they won that no, game? No, not at all. Yeah, ex- exactly. We're, we're kind of used to that. Uh, but I was still just the fact that they, they kind of dominated, dominated is a strong word because they only won by seven or eight or whatever, mm-hmm. but they were in control the whole way. Uh, and they just really looked sharp. Um, I, you know, 
I expected going into this year, Arthur, give me a second, dude, um, that they were going to be probably a solid second best team in the conference that USD would once again uh, be by, you know, the standard. And maybe they still will be. Uh, but the way the Jacks played in that one, to me, felt like a statement win to say, like, hey, we're not playing for second place this year. Yeah, and of course, the Yote women take number one South Carolina to a tie at halftime. And the Yotes lost a bunch of their best players from the, what, 30-2 and two squad last year. And uh, that was a top 20 team. And, you know, they fell behind by 20 eventually. They got kind of got blitzed in the third quarter, but they finished losing by only 10. And we'll do a lot more Yote men's and women's hoops talk next week for those uh, sensitive Yote fans that always want equal opportunity. But, uh, you, you, you know, what would be your message about uh, the the Yotes' performance against the Gamecocks? Well, I mean, women's basketball is a little more top-heavy than the men's. I mean, when, when a men's team, say SCSU's men, USD's men, if they beat the number 20, number 18 team in the country, that's a huge deal. And I'm not saying it isn't when the women's teams do too, um, but there's, I feel like a bigger difference between those top three, four, five teams in the women's rankings. And then the, you know, those teams in the, the 15 to 25 range. So SDSU beating Iowa state 15th ranked team in the country. Don't get me wrong. That's a big deal. Uh, but number one, South Carolina, I mean, they're, they're at a Yukon sort of level. Um, and for USD, obviously they lost the game, you know, and they were down by 20 at one point, but they were ahead in the first half tied at halftime. And then when it looked like they were getting run out of the gym in the third quarter, they came back in the fourth and they're playing without one of their better players, Monica Aarons, who's probably going to be out for a really long time. Uh, that that's an impressive performance by then, because I'm not sure people grasp just how on another level, those top three or four teams are in women's basketball. Right. Well, Zim, we did it. We actually went longer than uh, the Tim Miles interview went, which is coming up here. Uh, we infringed on 70 minutes. The goal was under 60. Maybe, maybe we'll do it again next week. We'll give it a shot. I knew I could out-talk Tim Miles. I knew it. <laughs> hey, I got the assist there. I always talk too much, so uh, I played a part in that. But uh, appreciate your time as always, Zim. Here's the clunky finish to the, to the Zim portion of the podcast where we say goodbye and thank you. Okay, bye. Why are you laughing? That was a terrible outro. Fuck <laughs> <Lock> you. <laughs> you guys need a round of drinks? Yes. Our guest this week, I am excited and frankly, a little surprised he's joining us. Uh, he is a South Dakota native from Dolan. You know this guy's resume. He turned around and took uh, every basketball program he was at to a national tournament and created buzz. Mayville State, Southwest Minnesota, North Dakota State, Colorado State, and Nebraska. And now he is uh, getting ready for his second season as an analyst calling nationally televised games on Fox and BTN. Plus the new Inside the Miles podcast, the greatest podcast in the history of the world and will forever be, no matter what, off the ground and already the best ever. He's best ever. He's Tim Miles. Uh, I... Congratulations on already having the best podcast ever, and uh, I would concur. Well, I'm I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure that if you look at the way things are today, that and you look at the history of mankind, there's very little doubt we best ever, just ever. And I just have to thank everyone for you know I'm not sure our ratings are great. I know that, uh, and so you know the other ratings of the other podcasts suck. So we've got a lot of good things going for us. <laughs> well, it's it's so good. That's partly why I'm having you on mine to kind of leech off of <laughs> you and 
have you help mine. So um, I was surprised you, you're, you know, you must have a lot of time on your hands. You did do the three beers later podcast in Lincoln with my old guys, uh, my old friends from the ticket and, uh, and drank beer and did a podcast for an hour. So I figured maybe I had a chance. Well, they gave me a fourth beer. That's how they kept me. <laughs> Why didn't you try the eclectic beers that they tried? Why didn't you play along? No, Why'd you have to have no, your Bud Light? I'm, I'm, no, no, Coors Light Coors, is what I well, drank. That's what I thought, but, but I thought I heard Bud Light on the thing. Okay. No, well, that's they gave me a couple Coors Light, ran out. Okay. And it was two beers later for me, and then I right. had to seal two Bud Lights. Okay. And, you know, and that's a rice content beer. Not that fired <laughs> up about it, but it just is what it is. But I, um, uh, no, uh, I am loyal to my brand. Coors Light was my sponsor when I was at Colorado State. They mm -hmm. sponsored my basketball camps, my TV show, my radio show. They were high country beverage. Bryce Copperwood were tremendous. So I've stayed loyal because it's got like as little alcohol as anything, uh, in there. And, uh, and it's not quite a, it's just a little more manly than an ultra. So there we go. <laughs> But they're not That's paying you. Story. But they're not paying you anymore. So that is fiercely loyal when no. they're not paying you anymore. I, I that exactly. They they paid me for five years and that's it. And I guess I'm hoping to maybe, as you so well said, uh, leech on uh, back to them. You know what I mean? Like yeah. uh, maybe I can just hang in there. You never know. You got to you got to be inventive. I was going to call you for career advice after uh, after back in May, but I didn't want to bother you. But you know, like you, I lost a job that I really cherished and loved and it was kind of taken away from me and I was going to get some advice on what to do next or how to handle it. But you seem to be, you seem to be handling it pretty well. So, um, and you, you know, you've got time, you get to work from home. This isn't a bad life. Uh, and, and you've told me you, you've had a, you're going to do a you know, fewer games than you got to do last year for Fox and BTN. Uh, are you, are you sure you just don't want to be the next Digger Phelps or, uh, Dan Dockich? And cause obviously I'm sure plenty of people have told you you're made for this. You're a natural at this. Um, have you had, I know you've wanted to coach again. You've gone up for a couple of coaching jobs, but seriously, do you, uh, how much, how much more are you liking this? I, I, I tell you, I really, I'm like a fan. I really enjoy the conference games and the big games. Um, uh, I, I do, you know, when you're doing some of the non-conference games that aren't as competitive, uh, you know, my attention wanes, <laughs> you know, and, um, uh, but I try and do the best job I can for everybody involved and find in, you know, interesting things. I, I do enjoy the broadcasting. It's a lot of fun, uh, on inside the mind of miles on our podcast, which is kind of a zoom cast, uh, it's available YouTube everywhere. Right. Um, Twitter, uh, Apple, Spotify, any, Google, get with it. Anything you, you want to listen to. Yep. Uh, like yours an author and, um, uh, um, and, and it's coaches talking to coaches and we, we don't get, here's the deal about coaches is that you're not going to get into like some people want us to do this big schematic breakdown. There's no coach in the world that's going to give you the schematic breakdown, like, a, or the recruiting blueprint of why they put a team together or how, because they're just not going to divulge those secrets. Like Bo Ryan told me a hundred years ago, Jimmy, uh, it's like, uh, it's like a coaching clinic. You can tell them some of what, you know, but you never tell them all of what, you know. And, um, and so we're just trying to have a conversation and tell stories. And I really enjoy that story making piece. I guess if there was like a Conan O'Brien show for sports, that would intrigue me, um, while doing some games and stuff like that. But at this point I have to, 
tell you in a selfish manner, John, I have 399 career wins. <laughs> 399. So I'm like grayscale under 400. You know what I mean? The guy with 402. But I'm grayscale 399. Like, oh, he almost made the 400 club, you know, uh, but not quite. Yeah. <laughs> not quite. So. Um, so I got to coach again, you know I mean? Just to get up there. You're like, you know? you're like Eddie Sutton when he was like 80 and took the job at San Francisco just for those six or yeah. seven wins to get to 800. I, and by the way, to put it a little more bluntly than the way you put it about your podcast and, and, and what you touch on with these coaches, the way you put it to, I believe Craig Smith in your podcast with him on inside the mind of miles was no coach tells you the truth. So try, don't, <laughs> you actually, yeah. you use those words. So, uh, yep. and, and one of those things is to connect it with the 399 is you know, a lot of coaches will tell you when, you know, when the media will cover, obviously will make a big deal when you get to a milestone, uh, victory, when you, when you embark on 300, 400, whatever, 500. And I remember a coach who we talked about before we flipped on the mic, who I remember would say, you know, before whatever it was, 650, um, you know, it's just a number. You guys are making a big deal of it, not yep. me. And then you, I went to his office one time, and he's got like the, the <laughs> giant ball. pictures. Yeah, the yeah. ball with seven hundred yeah. and the pictures yeah. of the celebration that night and all that stuff. Um, but do you? Uh, but is it in all seriousness? Is it still? I know a year ago you were just kind of um, you were just kind of itching, and I know you. you there was the, the there was the Wyoming job you went up for. Do you? But you've got you've got a. How bad do you want it, and how glad at the same time might you be that you don't have to be coaching through it this year with with COVID protocol, and you got to see it up close at the Sanford Pentagon in Sioux Falls, and what uh, what 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 they have to go through? Have you have you really changed at all with your desire to truly coach beyond the the uh, gratification of four hundred? Well, I definitely want to coach, and the reason I do coach is because yeah, I love the competition, I love the connection um, with with the team and the players. And I love watching guys, you know, when you're recruiting them, there's, they have this idea what they want to be. And then as they grow and develop, um, and mature, uh, you, you know, you get a chance to see all of that happen in real time and it's pretty cool stuff. So I, I want to coach. There's no doubt about it. I did talk to some different teams. Um, uh, one in particular, you mentioned, uh, decided not to move forward. They hired a very good young man. Uh, uh, after talking to all my former assistants who are head coaches or just uh, colleagues and uh, friends of mine, I am I am not missing out on the COVID season. Uh, uh, I'm glad they're going to figure out all the protocols and how to make this work. Um, there's just so many frustrated guys out there right now because of the unknowns and 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 just not having a chance to do your job. You don't get to do your job. And so I think as we look forward, you know, hopefully the vaccine is going to be in place and that can, you know, we can make some hay with that. At the same time, uh, can't wait to coach again. Can't wait to get on the floor. Can't wait to do it in front of a roaring crowd uh, that either love you or hate you uh, or vice versa. (laughs) You know what I mean? Right. Like it could be your home team or the way team might love you. Uh, uh, But um, I, I think that that as we look at this, uh, there is a, an element without fans that does not quite make it as fun or exciting. So I can't wait till we get that fan element back because I think that brings so much uh, uh, to what's going on and so much to uh, the whole event uh, of what's going on. In fact, as we're talking right now, I just flipped on the TV and 
I forgot the Maui Invitational, <laughs> uh, based in Asheville, North Carolina, <laughs> uh, yeah. is going on uh, today. But, <laughs> yes. but you know, it's just like, like, um, you know, we were just in Sioux Falls, you know, at the Pentagon instead of the Bahamas. And mm-hmm. first of all, who wouldn't rather be in South Dakota than the Bahamas? Man, was that uh, what, a, was that the as, joke of the day when we found out that was moving? That was. <laughs> Everybody hopped on that joke, but you know, it's true. Who needs beaches when you got basketballs? Well, apparently Mike Krzyzewski and and Duke, because they ducked out right away, but, uh, and eight others and eight others. others. Yeah. 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 But, uh, and they, and some of them ducked out for other reasons. We, we know it's a hotbed here, but at the same time, you got to see up close. You, You came, you went. Uh, you got in there. It did seem weird, weird to see you in, in an empty arena watching a college basketball game with the uh, the pictures you put on Twitter, uh, sitting up there in a suite. Uh, I, I look, I think back to the times where you're raising your arms to try to get the Pinnacle Bank Arena crowd going, and um, yeah, how weird and different that would be for you to coach in it. But how? What, what did you see? What did you observe uh, of how it is handled? And and. Not only I know the Sanford did a great job of, uh, of making everybody safe and it being professional. A lot of very high platitudes given by coaches, uh, both men and women, after the event. Um, but not just there, but other games I've seen, like in Lincoln with the Bison and Huskers the other day. Everybody, everybody's sitting six feet apart. There's no, there's it's not a row of chairs. Coaches and players are separated from each other. Uh, the the coaches taking their masks on and off and. Um, the refs taking their masks on and off. I, I know you've tweeted about that. Uh, what are some of your, you're a great observationalist. So w- w- what have you seen and what have you noticed so far? Well, I, I, one of the first thing is, is that the players are playing and competing, right? That's, that's awesome. And their energy level and their, um, it, it doesn't appear to be um, affecting them at all. Like they are all in the players. It's not like they're out there like this sucks or this doesn't mean anything to me. And I think that's the number one thing is if you watch the players and you look at them, they are engaged and they are all about it. Right. Um, and I think that's the most important thing, um, uh, you know, that, that they feel like this is worthy. OK, mm-hmm. because there are some risks. OK, there are some risks. Uh, second of all, uh, I believe that the schools and uh, the people putting on events owe it to the health and safety and welfare of everybody to try and do it as safely as possible. And unfortunately, that means at this point, usually no fans um, except the uh, the Texas event yesterday uh, was kind of interesting with Houston and Texas Tech. They all just sat right next to each other and there were fans there and, and masks were kind of uh, on and off and and the one thing I will tell you from being at the event, and I was surprised, I sat six feet across from Brent Deckard, who's the Brandon Valley coach, mm-hmm. who watched the game with me. And, you know, Brent's undergoing cancer. He's got lung cancer. And so it was very important, you know, that he and I were both masked up. But we're sitting, you know, three chairs apart from each other, about six feet. And with the piped-in crowd noise and everything, not just mu- not music, but just normal action during the game he couldn't even hear me speak to him um through my mask you know so i would like sometimes you know pull my mask away from my face so at least things would come out clearer so you can imagine i mean there's squeaking shoes coaches yelling at players yelling encouragement there's just a lot of stuff still going on in a basketball game so for coaches to put on and off their mask 
I'm not as put off by that, just being in that environment. Because a lot of people are just sitting at home in their living room where it's nice and quiet, just listening to the game. And they're thinking, well, why do they have to do that? Well, when you're there, there's a lot more action going on. Um, and you're trying to get the captive attention of somebody. So, um, I, uh, you know, I can understand that. Uh, second of all, like I say, I thought the quality of play was solid. If we think about the NBA early in the bubble, I thought it was, you know, defense was poor and it was not very good. And you probably saw that in some teams. Take Oakland, for instance, who just got run out of the gym by Xavier because they'd only had three practices in three weeks. And then they played three games in four days. And that third game was at Michigan, where they held a lead until late in the game and eventually lost in overtime. But you saw a completely an extreme amount of growth and, and, and you know, more synergy with the team and, and just better execution in just a matter of four days with that team. Um, because, you know, Michigan's pretty good. You know, I don't know if they're 24th in the country good, but they're pretty good. And, um, but, but Oakland, you know, it just now they caught a little bit of rhythm and got going. I thought that was very good for them. So um, thought they were great events. And, and really, Sanford did an excellent job, and that was a good of it. And if we start talking about the teams, it was really fun to watch, of course, Coach Huggins just grind out a victory and win the championship there. <laughs> yes. Well, I, I thought of him when I listened back to you talking to Fran McCaffrey and explaining. I mean, everybody, and I'm, the, I'm as guilty as it gets in the media, tweeting about Fran McCaffrey and always going straight to the, you know, his – face his head about to explode uh mount mccaffrey yeah. exploding and uh and and you know you listen to your podcast with him he's a human and huggins is another one i think about he just always looks miserable he always has but he can't possibly be miserable uh he's coached at a high level for a long time and makes a lot of money and um i'm sh- and i'm sure he's uh if not delightful at least fun to be around um in in coaching circles is that true or He's definitely fun to be around. And here's what I'll tell you about coaching too. It, it is a miserable experience a lot of times. And, and so when I was coaching, my blood pressure was 117 over 62. Now that I'm out of coaching, it's 148 over 98. So that tells you actually misery can be good for your health. I think um, <laughs> it's uh, it, it, you know, it's one of the things I think that, you know, as a coach, you know, you're kind of out there looking for, you know, this kind of perfection idea. Like I want us to do it right every time, all the time. And um, so every time there's something wrong, you're trying to make a correction and not every time, but you know, I mean, oftentimes. So because you, you just don't want to see mistakes. Um, and, and basketball is a game of mistakes. It's a free flowing game. You know, it's, it's got the biggest players in the smallest area. And if you equate it to, you know, the other sports like it, you go to um, where there's a lot of transition back and forth from offense to defense, right? It's like mm-hmm. hockey. It's like hockey or soccer, but they have goalies, right? Um, mm-hmm. So it, 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 it requires, there's so many mistakes all the time to do it well and do it right, you know, to be good at scoring and be good at defense to stop them from scoring. You know, think of football. Just think of football. When they go from offense to defense, they bring on, they, they, damn it. They bring on 22 new players. That's how big a deal it is. Holy shit. We're going from (laughs) offense to defense. Get everybody out here. Well, basketball does it 75 times in their sleep. Right. Right. And, and, and hockey does it a lot because it's a game of fast break basketball, endless turnovers, you know, 
Um, but 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 they have goalies. They have someone to stop the other team from scoring. Basketball doesn't have that. So my point is, you when you talk about Huggins looking miserable or whatever, it's a difficult game to do well um, the way a coach wants it done well. You know, mm-hmm. and and but it's an easy game to play and it's an easy game to watch. You know, uh, yeah. And, but but it's but it's very difficult to get your guys to do all those things. You know, uh, you know, like you say, you want it perfection almost. Um, it's very difficult to get them to do that over and over and over and over again because there's so many things that come into play. Um, you might not have the energy level on defense if you're not playing well on offense. You might be fatigued or tired. You might have a small injury, and this could all happen during the course of a game. And uh, your girlfriend might be sitting next to the new football quarterback um, in the stands. There's a lot of stuff going on. You know, these are young guys. So, um, you know, when I look at Hugs, he's really, uh, you know, in his element uh, when he's probably looking miserable and coaching that team. Well, there was a moment he, he and Her- Eric Henderson of South Dakota State Exchange that the cameras caught uh, for late in the game and and. SDSU still has a chance to win, and uh, you know Huggy Bears kind of getting blowing off steam here, left and right every time the camera's on them, like Bo Pelini back in the day. And then there's a moment where there's a stoppage, and the refs are confused about something, and you see Eric look over to Huggins and uh, sit, you know, clearly crack wise of something because Huggins finally had a little smirk, a little smile. And said something sarcastic, and they got right back in the huddle, and and you know turned into misery mode again, um, which yeah. is kind of a thing I enjoy about coaches. I want to get to your observations because this is you know we're based in South Dakota here of the Jacks in a moment. And Craig Smith, I have one question about him, and you got to see him when he was with Utah State. I you know, I did when you mentioned how tough coaching can be and the misery of it sometimes, you know. Tim Miles joining us here on Nobody's Listening Anyway. It's a, people remind me, reset. I don't have to reset. It's, you're listening to a podcast. The name's right there, and everybody knows Tim Miles. Uh, you have thought a lot about uh, the lessons you learned at Nebraska. You, you, you've mentioned this and uh, some of the things that you want to take to your next job because uh, of that at Nebraska, but you didn't, you didn't want to second-guess too much of what you've done. Uh, is that still the case, or do, do, I mean, what are some of the lessons you you did learn that you want to bring and do something differently at the next gig you get? Well, I was at Nebraska um, seven years. We shot the three well four years. Um, one of those years that we did we shot it well. We did not defend it well. We shot thirty five percent, but gave up forty percent from the three. Um, it, 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 I really think the game has really come down to and and one thing I don't like about it is it's really come down to defending and making threes Uh, so I hope we don't all become Houston Rockets uh, where you stand around try and get a three one way or another over dribble over dribble or you just try and force a layup Um, I still love movement without the basketball I still love the low post so I hope we keep the skinny lane I hope we keep the 30 second shot clock Uh, I wouldn't even mind moving the three point out another foot or whatever it might be um, to the, maybe the NBA line, um, you know, to make it really a, an expert shot, so to speak. And um, I think that may become a next for the NBA. They may have to change the court dimensions. They have to make the court wider and longer Mm -hmm. um, to, 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 you know, right now you got Robin Lopez making two threes a game. So crying out loud, I played Robin Lopez when I was at Colorado state, he was at Stanford and he Mm -hmm. couldn't make a free throw. (laughs) Um, But, it's a skill that you can get standing there straight open. So 
All right. Besides all that, um, the state of the game, I still think fairly healthy. Um, I'm glad that, you know, we, a year ago we moved the three-point line out a foot, um, you know, to make it a little harder. And numbers did go down a little bit. The national average went down about a percent and a half. And so I, I think that when, when the national average is almost 35% from the three-point line, that's way too much value for one shot, uh, the ability to make one shot, and way too many te- people are making it if that's your number because that's like a 53 or 54% two, and, and it's just not that easy to make a two-point field goal even. So anyhow, that's my diatribe on the three-point line, and my time at Nebraska really comes down to defending and making threes. And it did at that time I was there. And we just, when we did it well, we were good. And when we didn't do it well, we weren't good enough. Um, And for various reasons. But, uh, you know, you talk about the teams in the Sanford or in the crossover classic uh, was impressed. Uh, I I thought St. Mary's might be a little better. You know, we had a funny exchange in in, uh, Ben Johnson, Ben Jacobson um, and Craig Smith in the, in the seventh place game. Craig Smith's team at Utah State had not played well. He would played a lot of different guys, 11, 12 guys, um, trying to figure out a rotation, giving guys a chance. Might have cost him against VCU, who he lost to. Um, had a bad stretch, about two and a half minutes, where they turned the ball over. And um, finally, I think, played with some edge their last game, got a win against UNI, played more to the what their identity needs to be. Uh, Justin Bean was outstanding on the offensive glass, one of the best offensive rebounders, not only in the Mount West, but the country. Um, Nemus Keda was better, um, uh, more aggressive. I thought he had a better night, too. It was a funny exchange right at the end of the first half. Craig Smith had his use, use it or lose it timeout. His team's going away from him, and it's so quiet in the gym. He yells at his point guard because there's 31 seconds on the game clock, 30 seconds on the shot clock going down. He's like, hey, hey, hey. Hey, and he's trying to think of what to call. And so now they've extended the coaching boxes. So Craig's almost at half court and Ben Jacobson is walking toward him away from the action. And, and Ben says, um, what are you going to call Craig? And he goes, I don't know yet. And Ben says, come on. And he goes, time out. <laughs> so Craig calls time out and then, um, runs a play, gets a layup and winks at Ben. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, it's just kind of one of those moments you wouldn't, you wouldn't have seen maybe or heard, but those exchanges do go on actually during a game. Sometimes uh, two coaches that know each other pretty well, you know, both guys went to the university of North Dakota, uh, grew up within an hour and a half of each other. Um, and so in one of those things that, that they've known each other for a long, long time, uh, it was a fun little exchange. Uh, ben Jacobson, of course, missing his best three point shooter, um, let me get it right. Trey Burhau, and he'll have him back from COVID. That kid made three threes a game. That really hurt them, put a lot of pressure on AJ Green. Uh, I think I, you know, so you know, it doesn't take much in some teams to to really change the complexion of what that team's all about. I, and I think Northern Iowa knows that, although that they didn't want to go 0-3. Uh, I think if they would have their full team, it wouldn't have been hard for them to end up two and one even. Um, West Virginia was the best team there. Memphis was very talented. Uh, Western Kentucky was the biggest surprise to me uh, with some of their younger kids playing well. South but Dakota Charles State. Bassey, I'm going to get to them. Okay. That's the finale. Um, uh, <laughs> Western Kentucky. Yes. Western Kentucky, I thought, was awesome. Uh, Rick Stansbury really has them playing well. Charles Bassey is a bona fide NBA pick. 
VCU did some good things, caused some havoc. Um, of course, uh, that was Shaka's deal, but uh, they did. Mike Rhodes is a, he's a, a part of that family. But South Dakota State was really impressive to me. I thought they competed well against West Virginia. I did not see their game against St. Mary's, so I can't speak to that. But they ran Utah State out of the gym. You know, when you look at it, um, uh, no doubt to me, Noah Friedel is a uh, is an all-conference, one of the better players in that entire league. He's very, very impressive to me. Uh, Baylor Shireman, David Wingate, two Nebraska kids, played very well. Uh, Douglas Wilson inside is going to be a, a, a handful. It was amazing, like when you like talking to different people. When you look at Doug Wilson in the Summit League, he looks like a physical specimen. When you put him up against Bassey and and the West Virginia guys, he looks like a wing. You know, hmm. and that's what people don't understand about Power Five. It's just you know you can have a six. I had six six two guards in Tran Petaway and James Palmer with 6'10 wingspans. I mean, these guys are long. They're, they're like power forwards in smaller conferences. Um, and so you've got so much of that length and size and, and the depth of it. And boy, does West Virginia have punishing size. They've got three bigs. And one time out, Brent Decker and I were watching, and Huggins had his and we could see from our point of view in one of the suites, we could look right down into their huddle. And, and Brent says, do you think he's going to write anything on that marker board? <laughs> I said, not much. And, and he, took two, he, he took two lines like they were dashes. He put one right in front of the rim and one right above the free throw line. And, he's, and he points at it with his marker. Like, this is where we're going to get the ball, in the high post and the low post. And they were down 10 at that time. Hmm. And sure enough, they just kept grinding, kept throwing inside, kept getting fouled, kept getting offensive rebounds and layups and, and post post moves, and and they grinded out the win. He didn't panic, you know. There was like 11 minutes left in the game, down 10. He's like, yeah. we're going to go here and here. And that's what makes him good, that stubbornness, mm. that that belief in, in, you know, he's run the same system. I coached against him in 2006 at North Dakota State, and they're really not doing much different. Uh, when they go small, they run their five out motion. When they go big, they go high low. And, um, and it's really hard to play against. So, um, it was fun to watch, but the Jacks were impressive. It's fun to see Charlie easily out there. Uh, he's a guy that we recruited some Matt Dentlinger is a good power forward at six, eight. I I think the Jacks to me look to be a favorite in the summit. I've not seen Omaha yet. I think I'll see him tomorrow. Uh, I've seen North Dakota state. They're young. They've got some improvement to do. I think they They'll be upper half. Um, I, I think Omaha is going to be all right. Um, and uh, I've not seen South Dakota either. So, yeah. uh, you know, still need to, some work to do. Paul Sather's doing a nice job up at North Dakota. Uh, but, you know, again, they've got some young guys they're depending on. So South Dakota State looks to me to be a team, the team nice. to beat in the summer league. Nice. And I, I want to drive it back to, to, to Lincoln and you living there. And that's partly because you're – so your son is still in high school there or is he my son's a sophomore in high school yep. yeah yep. so i mean yep. that's partly why you stayed i mean because some people are like why didn't you just get out of there but uh, you already had a daughter going to the university of nebraska and you seem to be comfortable and and, and liking it there are, does it get does it get very does it, gracious to me okay yeah does it is it but is he, it still weird and is it weird and how do what kind of feelings go through your head whenever you do watch a nebraska basketball game um because I live here, it almost feels like I'm a fan. 
of Nebraska. You know, um, I expect them to win. I expect them to do well. I want them to do well. Not certainly not cheering against them. Uh, now there's some things that you know you always have when you get fired from a job where you feel like, oh, that that I wish I would have known that beforehand. You know, or you know that's that's human nature. But when I look at this, uh, people have been very gracious. There's always a few assholes in the group that say something rude or whatever. But you know they're just playing to your face? nature. Uh, yeah, on occasion, on occasion, but not often, not often, John. So um, usually alcohol is involved on their part. Um, so um, well, at least you but, show your face. But, yeah, but you know people have been really good to me here. Um, we've enjoyed it. We we knew we wanted to make Lincoln a home. Who knows? Even as we you know move on to coaching ranks, my wife loves our house, uh, likes it down here. It's not far from our families. So who knows if we'll even, you know, relocate entirely. But at the same time, um, uh, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to coach. Uh, I'm on a, a, I've got all my stuff in storage ready. To, we're a U-Haul away from being at the next job in 24 hours. So um, uh, I'm ready to roll that way. But uh, at the same time, uh, I think Fred's team's going to be much, much improved. Uh, I would be surprised if they're, you know, last in the league or, or at the very tail end, I would think they're better than that. Uh, Trey McGowan's is really good. Um, but there's always growing pains when there's that many new players. Uh, I, I really think the big 10 is good. I don't think it's worthy of seven ranked teams mm-hmm. or, you know, or nine teams in the NCAA tournament or anything crazy like that. But it's, it's certainly a, one of the top three or four uh, leagues in the country again, as it was every year I was in it. Uh, it's just a bear. Anybody can beat any. It's just like the NFL. It's it's well resourced, well scouted, uh, well coached, and the players are really good, rock solid, and so anybody can beat anybody on any given night. Yeah, and it'll be fun, fun league to watch for sure. Yeah, for sure. And, and the last one, mm-hmm. uh, if you don't mind, you said there are some things you wish you what seeing what you see now at Nebraska you wish you wish you would have known this or would have, or could have done that. I think anybody would understand how difficult your situation must have been your last year, Tim, when uh, you know you were operating under not the kind of contract extension people wanted, and uh, you had something outside consultation that you really appreciated having that was taken away from you, and it, it had to have been a difficult. Final year. What are what are some of the things you watch and you say? I wish I would have known that. Or do you? Yeah, mind I mean, just the the idea that that we we could have had all the resources available to us at the time, yeah. regardless of of what's going on. But you know, if you if you're going to let me do my job, let me do my job. And and I just felt like you know uh, that wasn't going to happen. And, and and that that that's that's the way it happens in big boy jobs. You know, sometimes you just end up we're going to go in a different direction. And that's what was decided and uh, by the upper levels of, of administration. And, and you just have to live by that. Um, I, you know, even if we make the NCAA tournament, I'm probably out at Nebraska. You really think um, so? And, yep. And so, and so that's just the way it goes. And, and, and I'm okay with that. And I'm, I loved our time in Nebraska. Feel like a Husker fan through and through and wish them nothing but the best and can't wait till Scott Frost gets that thing rolling in football and, and Fred in basketball. So, uh, but there's a lot of great high level coaches and good people there. And so um, we've really enjoyed our time in not only in the big 10, but certainly in Nebraska. Uh, and we're ready for a new challenge uh, whenever that presents itself. 
certainly COVID had a big impact on that for us last year. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we look forward to going through it and hopefully getting another crack this spring or whatever it might be, or even if it's in another year, uh, we'll figure it out. But uh, right now we're just living life. I'm going to make lunch for my son, uh, make sure he's at home uh, going to school today, make sure he gets something to eat. And, um, and uh, we're going to get going from there. I'm going to do some, another uh, in just a few minutes, another podcast here. Of course. Um, and then I've got a zoom call with a former assistant of mine who's now at a D2 school and their pause. So I'm going to speak to him and his staff. We're going to just talk about some hoops and, and uh, stuff like that. So got a busy day, even though I'm unemployed. <laughs> well, exactly. Well, I appreciate you taking the time out for this. Uh, the podcasts are enjoyable. I'm, I'm sincerely glad you seem happy and relaxed yet ready to go and have those interesting exchanges with both the opposing coaches and the refs and the fans and your team during those games again. And uh, can't wait to see where it lands, Tim. But thank you so much for the conversation today. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me on. And that'll do it for another edition of Nobody's Listening Anyway, although I, I think a few more people than usual did listen anyway because of Tim Miles. He's a gift that keeps on giving when it comes to sports talk, interviews, passing the time, such a blast, so open, honest, candid, funny, uh, and hopefully brought some of his, you know, hundreds of thousands of social media followers and admirers with him. And if you enjoy this, you liked it, by all means, like it. Like, like it on whatever platform you're on. Give it a like. Give it a five-star, a ten-star, whatever the hell star rating you can. One more star than you can give, please give, because we're just trying to grow this thing. Just a local business trying to make it in the world. So is the Gateway Lounge. Our partners, 41st Street, West Sioux Falls, just west of the I-29 exit. You can't miss it. It's the best place in Sioux Falls to go watch sports, especially on NFL Sunday all the TVs in front of you. And if you don't want to go, you want to stay safe, you want to stay at home, it's a pandemic, cool. They have takeout. I did that on Sunday. Got their big, giant, juicy, flavorful chicken wings. Gilbert got the chicken Philly. They have some of the best pizzas in town. It's a huge menu. Check it out online and do takeout. 361-1137. They'd appreciate it. Real local people. They want to keep their jobs. They want to keep that institution going. Support small local businesses with your local dollars. Gateway Lounge. Follow them on Twitter and on Facebook, too. They are one of the things you actually look forward to seeing in your feed every day. For Matt Zimmer, Tim Miles, I'm John Gaskins. Come on back next time to Nobody's Listening Anyway.